Hello, and welcome to the Rethink Missions podcast, where we learn from the stories and lessons of cross-cultural servants to the unreached people groups of the world. Welcome to today's episode. Here's your host, Jeremy Wardlaw. Okay, today I'm super excited to have a special guest. I've been dying to get your story, and I'm sure um, the others out there listening are going to be excited to hear. You've been at work in the region of West Africa, in the country of Senegal, for 38 years. Is that that right? That is correct. Mm -hmm. And there is a ton the Lord has done. You're a Bible translator, and I've worked in the same people group, trusting the Lord through so many situations. So maybe we could start by hearing just how those early years were when you were moving in. Um, And by the way, we have Penny Warner here. So that's the person we're talking to. Um, But yeah, could you start by just giving us those early days, some of those challenges as you see the Lord um, working to get you established in the people group and then to see the work progress in language learning and that sort of thing? Well, things are, of course, quite a bit different today than they were then. I'm a little fuzzy as to exactly when the first contact was made with the Jalunga people. There were some surveys done, which were done before I was even on the field. Leadership had visited several villages, and the one that was chosen, if they would have us, because it was a pure Jalunga village. It was not a mix of tribal peoples. Um, And because there was a mountain that they didn't want us to have to climb, and... Number one, proved true. Jalunga was a pure village. Number two, did not prove true as our airstrip was on top of the mountain. So you had to climb the mountain? We climbed it anyway. But that was just the way it was. Um, Paul Theobald and Steve Hainer families were the first two families for the work. And I was asked, and Cheryl Splain was asked to join the team in the summer of 1982. The two couples were ready to move in, but they didn't have anybody to do linguistics for the team, so I was asked if I would consider doing that. And to be honest, I I prayed about it, and I couldn't think of any reason why I should not join it, even though I thought it was kind of far inland for single people to go. I didn't see anything against it, and I said yes. And so we moved out there. The team moved in, the two couples, in July of 1982, and Cheryl and I moved out American Thanksgiving Day of 1982. And it was a good thing we were not there during the summer because the two couples suffered terribly. They couldn't get food and they couldn't get to town or any of those things. So Mm. we were very glad we weren't two more miles out there to feed to try to get through all of that together. Um, Our homes in the beginning were just bamboo and mud. Cheryl and I spent three months in a tent. Then they took our tent away from us. We always had a good laugh over that. And eventually we got homes built that are mud brick. And uh, at first they were grass-roofed, and now they're tin-roofed. The beginning, the people were excited to have us there. We were excited to be there. Uh, We did all our own house building. And no, we didn't know how to build houses, but we did it anyway. And... We laugh about some of that today as well, but that was the beginning. We built houses and learned language at the same time. Even though we had to be building, we still tried to learn Mm. new phrases, new things, 
every day, every week as we could. Of course, most of it centered around building at that time, building and medical. But then the team freed me up to start language study, and I went to another village where there was a woman who spoke a little French. At that time, our people did not speak French, and so it was pretty much a monolingual approach at the beginning, but then I found a lady in another village, and I went three days a week for about six months, and she helped me with numbers, body parts, questions, so that we could start talking to the people. What is what is that? What are you doing? Things like that to help us along. And she was a good help, but then it was time to quit, and we, I didn't continue with her. Mm. Um, we lost a coworker right away in the first year, and that threw me into a position of being on the building team because there was only one other person on the team who drove standard, and he needed to be the builder, and so I ended up being the shagger of all the mud, the brick, and everything that we brought in from the Bruce, which gave me a good relationship with the men, but then later on I had to fight to get a good relationship with the women because I hadn't come in as a lady cooking and all of that sort of thing. Mm. But the Lord worked it out in time. Um, Going on through, we lost that one couple, as I say, and we gained two more, and we had a full team for a year, and things really went well. We made good progress in language. We made good progress in linguistics and even in starting Bible lessons and teaching. Um, We were okayed to start teaching in 1987. Steve Haynard as teacher, myself as translator. We were pretty naive as far as being prepared And Steve literally chased me all the way through phase one with needing material practically before the ink was dry. And so it was a challenge at that time. So you were translating just above him as he's teaching. ahead of him. In fact, they they picked out some things for me to skip so that I could stay ahead of him, Mm. that they would just tell the, the passage rather than actually translate the passage. And in spring of 1989, um, Steve was able to present the gospel. You say, why so long, a year and a half? Well, we have a feud in our village um, regarding who should be chief, which clan. And by the way we chose where Steve would teach, it was so everybody had a neutral place to attend, Mm. where they wouldn't have to attend in somebody's yard that they didn't want to be in right so and steve taught the same lesson every night five nights a week in five different places and then he was teaching in five separate locations but the same lesson he he actually did six nights a week wow um he said he would never do it again (laughs) but he did at that time and there were a small group of believers that we believe came out of it But right after Steve did present the gospel, not too long after that, he and his family had to leave for health reasons or different things. And and the people never really had good, solid teaching, steady, solid teaching. Mm. And then we lost and gained co-workers along the way um, until... The Haynars actually left the field, I believe, in 1998. And um, that left just my coworker, Audrey DeJagger, and I. 
and she um, didn't live in Medina anymore. When I, I had had two years of personal leave, and when I came back from those two years of personal leave, I asked leadership to return to the village, even though there were no other missionaries living there. And I think with fear and trepidation, they said yes. Mm-hmm. And then after the end of a year, we talked about it, and I said I felt it was really a positive thing because finally I needed them. Right. When there's a whole team of missionaries, sometimes I don't think they felt like we needed them at all. We could have just existed without them in the sense of being working and everything that we did. Now, obviously, we didn't live without them as far as they were the people group that we went to reach. But in, in terms of practical needs and different helps, now now you you needed to integrate really deeply and, and depend on them for different things. What sort of things? Well, for just plain brawn, for one thing, just muscles. And I had a neighbor that I would go to, and I'd say, okay, buddy, I need some muscles. And he'd laugh, and he'd say, okay. But then I did things for him like little bottles of glue, and you think that's little, but to them that's big because everybody in the village needs that thick glue that they use and things like that. But also on a higher level, that's on a very practical level, on a higher level, the man, we didn't have host families in those days. In fact, we went in under the chief. But after the gospel was given, the chief's family did not believe overall. And so there was another family that did, and so we gravitated to them. The believers' meetings were held in their compound. We became really good friends with them, and so the whole village began to look at them as our host family. Okay. And I really depended on that man, the head of that family, for cultural advice. How do I work out this situation? This is what happened. Where do we go from here? What do you think is best? Um, even though maybe he couldn't really advise me on a spiritual level, he could definitely advise me and guide me on a cultural level. Right, right. And when Audrey and I were in there together, he did act like a host father. Mm. I can remember we went one Sunday just for a Sunday drive so we could be in air conditioning in my truck. Right, get some relief. And when we didn't get home till almost dark, and he was standing at the entrance of the village waiting for us. And we were like, uh-oh. We blew it. We're late. <laughs> we didn't know, you know, but that's how seriously he took his care of us. Right. He was worried. He was worried about us. He wanted to know, you know. Yeah. He didn't say anything when we got there to chide us or anything, but we both knew. He was waiting. Right. <laughs> so I appreciate that, though. Yeah. Um, sadly, he passed away uh, probably six, seven years ago now, mm. and I've lost that in the village. I really don't have anyone that I can solidly look to, an older person like I used to. For that cultural that advice of, and that... How do I get out of this problem advice and stuff. Right, right. Now, there are certain men that I can trust for certain things, you know, I, but it's no one man that I would look to. It would be, this guy's good at this, this guy's good at this, that right, sort of thing. Right, right. So, I mean, that's a, that's a quick survey, right? So we're, we're starting off in tents, building houses, and what was that like? That was interesting. That was... Okay, when we first moved there... Uh, we were in the tent, 
And it wasn't a bamboo shelter, don't misunderstand me, but at the same time, we were hearing lions every single night. So you're hearing lions outside? Every night. And the village would say, no, 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 they're after our livestock. And my head knew that, but my heart couldn't get it. <laughs> I memorized Psalm 91 during that time. and uh, I don't have that memorized. What I assume that's about lions. Well, it's the one that says, Thou shalt trample the lion and the dragon and the young lion and the adder shall they'll trample under feet in King James Version. So, yeah. And it's he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall mm. abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Mm. It's a good chapter. I needed to memorize it. I just didn't know I needed to memorize it for lions. But um, to show you how serious that was for me while I didn't live in constant fear, I didn't stop having lion dreams until 1999, like nightmares. Wow. And uh, now I didn't have them every night or anything like that, but it was like 1999 before they stopped. So every night you're kind of trusting God for a good night rest? And, and I didn't think of it all the time. Right. You know, but those first that first dry season was terrible. Oh. That first dry season was terrible. And like I said, I... I knew they were after the livestock. They weren't after us. But when you're only living in a tent, they don't have to be after you. <laughs> they could trip over you. <laughs> right. So anyway, there was that. When we moved to the village, I remember the teammates who had gone out four months ahead. They said, do everything you want, varnished, anything. Do all that before you come so that you can start right in when you get there. So we did. And then when our baggage got there... Everything was scratched up. Co-workers had ordered a gallon of peanut butter, which had broken open and was all over all of the baggage. And it was like, um, that was really profitable. But I have to be honest, to this day, I never did revarnish my bed. I never... <laughs> I did clean peanut butter off most of the stuff. But the, the thing that was so helpful that day, when all our baggage came with broken stuff and everything, when it got there... Um, was that our coworkers just acted like, okay, so this is life. This is what happens sometimes. Mm. And so both Cheryl and I just gulped and went with the flow. And while we were disappointed, I don't remember in the pit of I don't remember being in the pit of despair over it. I was disappointed, mm. but um, things are things. Right. So, so that's going to be scratched for a while. Yeah, 38 years later, it's still scratched, and I don't really care anymore. <laughs> but language learning was was a good time for me. I really loved language learning. I loved being out with the people. I loved going to the fields. Actually, for me, when I first came to the field, I struggled when I was in the Cosmos, when I was in my French study. I really struggled even being in Senegal. And the day I moved to Medina Bafé, it was like, yep, this is where I'm supposed to be. Totally different yeah. feeling for you. Even yeah. in spite of the lions and all that, it was still this is like this is where I'm supposed to be. And I can remember having a conversation with one of our coworkers. This is it. This is the end of the line. I don't move until God moves me. And that was settled in your heart from day one? Pretty much, I would yeah. say so, pretty much. In fact, one of the things that did strike me was all the way through the training, well, I can do this for two years. I can room with this person for six months. Maybe we don't click, but I can do it. I can do this 
for 18 months. I can live with this for six months. And when I got to the village, I realized, you know what? This is it. There is no moving down the line. This is what I came for. And this is it. Not that I didn't like it, but it was just a realizing I don't put up with this for six months. I live with this. Right. Which is a totally, I mean, I'm in the learning French for two years. Hopefully, hopefully I pass <laughs> um, phase. So I'm still in that phase thinking, just kind of a shorter time frame. But eventually, Lord willing, get into a ministry that that's it. That's where I invest my life. Now, I have to be honest, I never dreamed it would be 38 years in the same village. I didn't. I thought I'd be gone out of there by now. But things just haven't gone. You know, with, we've had a lot of changes in personnel, um, lost a lot of people. You know, God has his reasons for doing that. And, um, but, so here I am still. Now, I'm trying to think of your question back a little bit. Those earlier years and the teaching, people, uh, we had a good attendance when we first taught in the village, as a village as a whole, in the compounds. I mean, it dwindled, of course, as the time went on, but there was a core group that finished. But um, it was mainly that one family and one man in the chief's compound. A couple other guys, but they went back later. Mm. And so... um, those early years were like that, but I mean, as far as CLA and all of that, I just loved it, and I yeah. loved being with the people, and it was actually hard for them to understand when I had to withdraw and go to my desk, but there's no way you can do a translation in the evening. You have to put hours into it. You and can't if, just do in two or three hours every evening. No, it isn't going to work. Yeah. And so I did have to pull back, and that, that's been difficult. Um, I do now try to compensate a little. My weekends, now that my home is the only home we're maintaining in the village, um, I have a little more free time on weekends. I can go to the fields. I can spend time sometimes on a Sunday. I can just go to the village, and I don't have to even think about the clock. I can spend two or three hours in one compound if I want to, you know, and that's been a blessing. I've, I've enjoyed being able to do that again. But just trying to find ways um, to spend more time in the village and yet still get my desk time in that I need. Right. Kind of juggling those relationships and that overwhelming task of translating mm-hmm. the Bible. Um, both so essential, right? So essential. That's correct. So where is the where are we at in the translation? I can't give you exact numbers. I know that over eighty percent is drafted. Praise I can God. say that. And uh, I'm looking at about four hundred fifty verses left to draft to finish the epistles, and then I would have the Gospel of Matthew left to translate. That's amazing. It's slow coming, but it's coming. Yeah. 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 As Now, you asked, one thing that you asked me to mention was some of the things that have happened over the years. I can remember one thing that I was, my own naiveness, when we first went to the tribe, we were there a year and a half, two years maybe, and a young man had a hernia that was strangulated. 
mm. and we tried to get it back in for him by giving him medication and then it tells you how to do it and we tried but we couldn't get it and so one of our teammates took him to town but he died in town and I re I remember thinking oh may nobody else die before we give the gospel when in reality so many people more so many more people died before we ever were able to give the gospel but I just remember thinking surely no more Lord and yet there were so many. But God is faithful, and he knows who will and won't accept his word, and we just have to go with that. But I do remember that as being a difficult issue. One of my coworkers who was supporting me and even doing in translation, they ended up leaving the tribe. And I remember thinking, I considered her extremely good with details mm. in translation. In fact, I remember giving her a couple chapters in Genesis to look at, and I was confident that they were in good shape. And when she gave them back, they were so marked up that I was flabbergasted <laughs> at the, all the errors that she caught that I missed. And so when she left the team... It was an issue. I said, Lord, I've got to learn to do better on details because I don't have anybody to catch that for me anymore. You know, mm. Nobody else was able to step into her shoes in that job. And so um, that's something that I felt like I had to really learn for um, being able to do a better translation. And that would have been a big thing to trust the Lord with as you're, you're feeling like, hey, this is the body working well together. And suddenly a whole bunch of pieces of the body were gone. Right. The body parts had left. And it had been down to um, just myself working on the translation. Another thing that I thought of, I can remember taking some teammates to town and coming home by myself, the beginning of the rains, early rains, and being about 20 kilometers from home, but that in reality was an hour and 15 minutes from home because the last stretch of road at that time was the worst, and I could see the sky turning navy blue with a storm. And at that time, we didn't have the bridges that we have now. And I remember praying, Lord, just get me through the river before this hits, through the river before this hits which was about 10 kilometers away. And he did not honor that in that way. But what he did do that day, and it has helped me many, many times afterwards, is he got me through the storm. Hmm. I drove through the storm, and I eventually made it home. It almost seems like I had to leave the truck either at one of the creeks or at the river and walk on in, but I made it home fine. And it was just a lesson to me that I've never forgotten that he doesn't always prevent the storms for us, but he will help us get through the storms. And that turned, that's almost the same identical thing happened again this year mm -hmm. as I was away at another tribe and on my way home, and that same thing, same place, the navy blue sky started up, and I thought, I can't believe this. And I was worried because everything was plugged in at home. <laughs> and, uh, Again, he led me through the storm, but I hit the storm. The storm hit me full bore. And but it he was, took you through it. But he took me through it again. Mm. And uh, 
that was the time I came home to the blown off roof so in that, June. That was another test once you got home. It was another test once I got home. I remember thinking, oh, how nice of Mama do to meet me. And then I realized why he, meet, he met me. He met me to tell me that my roof had blown off. But so we're talking your roof is literally blown off. Peeled right up and put into a tree. So the tin's in a nice little roll in oh, a tree. Oh, well, not a very nice roll, but yes, <laughs> in a tree. Another storm. Another yeah. storm. But the Lord provided for that one, too. And he gave me a builder. He gave me somebody to help me buy building supplies quickly, and by the next weekend we had that, I didn't, but they had that roof back on. Mm. So. so God has done things like that along the way. Um, and translation, when I first started translating my first check with a mission checker, I had a checker from another mission, and she said, oh, my work was wonderful. I had a met check from our mission, and it was like, uh, not quite. And I was devastated, and I just went out in the bush, and I said, Lord, I can't do this. And it was one of the few times where I felt like God said, yeah, well, if you don't, I don't have anybody else. And I got up, and I went back in, and I said, okay, so teach me how to do this. <laughs> and it's been learning ever since. Mm. Are there any other lessons like that that you'd like to pass on to young, naive missionaries like myself? Well, those are some of the main ones. Yeah. Um, I guess one thing is if it's not conf- you're not confident that that's where you're supposed to be, then when those kind of things hit, you don't have the foundation to stand on that this is this has to be part of it because this is where I'm supposed to be and if you don't have that it's a lot easier to say well I guess I better go home I better give up on this and I would say that my first term was more boot camp than NTM boot camp ever was or Ethnos 360 training ever was my first term on the field I feel was my real training session in so many things, personal relationships, walk with the Lord, so many things. You felt like that was just putting you through the the fire in a sense and just training you? And I don't remember it with bad memories, like that it was awful. I just remember that it was a very difficult time. Thing after thing after thing after thing happened, you know. But hmm. can you teach me a phrase in the language? Okay, if you wanted to greet someone, you would say "nunkarang." Can you say that again? "Enunkarang." "Enunkarang." Not really. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty close. And then you, as a man, would answer "mba." "Mba." And you would say "ofenye." "Ofenye." And I would say "mmm." Don't try to repeat that. That one. <laughs> sounded like you gulped or something. <laughs> exactly. I don't know how to spell it to this day, but I know how to say it. <laughs> is it tonal? Jalunga? Yes. Jalunga's tonal. tonal is what we call a step-tone language. Wow. Yes, it is, but we are not allowed to write it, so. You're not allowed to write? The tone. The tone. Mm-hmm. But there are ways to help. Yeah, yeah. So what, 
what is your hope for the work now? We're, we're at 38 years almost a translation and a few believers, handful. What is your, your hope for the, the people group and what, what do you want to see God accomplish? Well, my goal and desire is still to see a church established among the Jalungas. Sadly, most of the believers have died off over the years without reproduction, without, they didn't have solid teaching. I don't know if that had a lot to do with it. There's many contributing factors, but my desire is still to see that church established among the Jalunga people. Will it be at Medina Bafe? The way it looks right now, probably not. I am told, I was told about two years ago, that there are a lot of the young men in that believe that our that our way that God Esau's road as we call it is the right way. Mm-hmm. But until they're willing to face the pressure and to step out, um, I really can't do anything with that because I don't know who they are. And so, and there's extreme pressure against. They like having me there. But there's extreme pressure um, against the gospel. Right. It would not, they're not open. That is. To uh, seeing people trust in Jesus and, and see the word of God as God's word. Exactly. They are very, in fact, they put a lot of pressure on the believers to go back. Yeah. And there have been a couple young men. I had coworkers from 2005 to about 2015. He again taught all the way through phase one. There was no response. He left our village, moved to town, and was going to look for another village, um, did some other projects and things during that time. And then some of his age mates from our village asked him to come back and to teach them in little groups there he had two or three I don't know if he ever had four at one time going small groups like two or three guys and there were a couple men probably more than a couple who had come out of that group and had joined the believers group one of them also died and then two of them after that co-worker left they went back they said they could not stand the slander, the the village talking about them. That's how they pressure people back into, that's their social control. They don't want a bad name, and they just could not handle that pressure. Mm. I mean, so as I think of you over those 38 years, there's all sorts of times where you could say, well, I've done my part, I'm headed home, and you have for sure done your part. But what, what made you say, no, I'm, I'm here, and I'm staying here, and here you are sitting with me? Well, I guess there's a couple things. There's more than one. One thing is God made that promise he would build this church, and there's not a church there yet. And so I still desire to see that church there. Mm-hmm. I desire to see him build that church. Now, as the Jalungas would say, well, my eyes see it, I don't know. And I'm prepared for that sort of 
the other thing is way back, like I said, that other coworker and I, when we said this is it, this mm. until God moves us, and I have not yet got the vibe. I I have got the vibes that it's getting close to time to leave. I have, but the other thing, in the midst of coworkers leaving and so forth, um, one of the things has been people didn't take me there, therefore I cannot leave because of people. Even if all the rest choose to leave, I do not feel God has led me to leave yet. Your obedience to him isn't based on what other people are choosing to do. Yes, I guess that would be part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Or that that's a big chunk of it, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because believe me, there's been times when I thought, yeah, I would. And it's not all been perfect. There's been days when I've thought, I hate it here, but I'll be fine tomorrow. <laughs> Day at a time. And you live, yeah, and yeah. you get past it. Did you ever feel crazy? I'm just trying to put myself in your shoes where there's people in and out. I'm I'm, I'm not even sure who they are, so I don't want to yeah. know the Lord used them for their time. Mm-hmm. And they had, he had his reasons, um, and they had... They're still walking with the Lord and serving Him. So, But there you are. Did you ever feel like, what? Am I the crazy one here? Well, at the risk of a lot of laughter, I have actually come to the point with, what's wrong with my deodorant? <laughs> I mean, but that, yes, I have. I have wondered that sometimes. Yeah. I yeah. have. But um, I, and I have even thought, well, am I the one that holds the work back? Should these other people have stayed and I left, you know? But I, I've never sensed that that was really the right thing to do. No, that's just <laughs> those crazy thoughts coming yes. in. Yeah, yeah. But I do believe, as I finish the New Testament, um, that I probably will leave Medina mm-hmm. after that time. Now, there are two believers there to this day course we're still praying for more um we as a mission do not want to leave them alone the, we haven't figured out how not to do it yet but there is a i can say this there are a couple couples who are interested in the work but the thought has been they won't settle in the same village okay unless those men who say they believe that jesus road is the right road Unless they come public, there's no, we don't believe that's where we should stay. Right, right. Is there any final thoughts as you're thinking about um, someone out there who's thinking about missions, kind of curious about missions, and what is, what is this reaching unreached people groups, and what does it actually take to reach unreached people groups? Any thoughts to someone out there who's just thinking about it and kind of curious I guess I would have a couple. God uses ordinary people. I was no spectacular linguist. I'm no spectacular Christian. God knows as well as I do my faults. And so, but God uses ordinary people and he uses people who will stick with it. Hmm. Stick with it. (laughs) Yeah, that is definitely a lesson from your life. Yeah. There was one thing, there came a point in our time when we did have a lot of turnover where our villagers said, what is wrong with us? Why can't we keep our missionaries? 
And I had to say to them, it's probably not you at all. It's that God is finished with what he can do in their lives in this village. And then one of them came up with the idea, which they were partially right, is it's the isolation of the work and the... um, Boy, it's so hard to translate that word into English. The the way, the people's mannerisms and ways, they're very bold and in-your-face people. Um, takes a lot of grace for for someone that comes from a Western culture, maybe. At times, for sure. A lot of sure. adaption that takes place to, to integrate there. And to, to realize that underneath there's still people with the same fears and and needs as we have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even though they come on bold, it doesn't mean that they're really trying to eat alive. It's just the way they are. Right. <laughs> just trying to survive. Make yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. That would be quite the thought where you're thinking, no, it's not you. No. But when they see a huge turnover like that over the years, they do start to question. And that's quite interesting given that they'd be happy to have you there, but it's not like it's a village looking to transition from one majority religion to another. They're not looking to do that, and yet they would still be thinking, why are, why are these messengers leaving? Well, I think that the real strong turn towards the folk Islam has the real strong... Now, it's been there all along, but it has really changed in the last few years. I would say it's been after most of those co-workers left. Yeah. Big transition there. Yeah, and I'd say in the last four to five years, it's been a huge transition. Hmm. We'll trust the Lord that... He's got to work for us, and we'll be praying for you as you finish up the translation and are passing on the baton, as it were, to those that are believers, and hopefully some and some missionary couples that are willing to move in to that same people group. Yes, we do. Pre- we do look forward to that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for your lessons, and God bless. And God bless to those out there listening. Um, We're praying for you and hope that you're encouraged and challenged by what Penny had to share. You've been listening to the Rethink Missions podcast. For more information and episodes, go to wmissions.com. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review and subscribe.